This is Making Shift Happen, and I'm your host, Jen Cates. Over the years, I've coached hundreds of clients to find their ideal self through the way they nourish their bodies and minds, and now I'm here to help pass on these same strategies to you. So let's stop the madness and get your results once and for all. Let's go. Welcome listeners to another episode of Making Shift Happen. I'm your host, Jen Cates, and I'm excited because today I have the wonderful guest, Dr. Erin Ayala. And Erin Sheher is a licensed psychologist, performance consultant, and researcher who blends clinical and research expertise in her work with athletes from various sports backgrounds. So she doesn't just specialize with cyclists, she specializes with a lot of different athletes, even though she's a cyclist herself. She is also the owner of Scotty Sport Psychology, which is based out of Minnesota, but she's also able to practice in many states across the United States. And, you know, today we're going to be talking about, you know, burnout versus depression and you know, what are the signs and symptoms of that and, and how can we kind of navigate these waters a little bit. So, so welcome, Erin. I'm so glad we were able to, to finally sit down and, and chat about this. This is great. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I am so excited. I've been waiting for this because I know we've been in touch for a little while. And of course, I've followed you for quite a while. Um, I don't even know how long, but at least the past year. And I just found you through, you know, stamina racing and, Mm -hmm. you know, just kind of went down through that whole rabbit hole (laughs) that you can go down, especially when you find someone who has similar belief systems and and approaches and styles and things like that. You, it really resonates with me. So Mm -hmm. I'm so glad you were able to, to join for this, this episode and take some time out of your day. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So let's get to know you a little bit more. And have my listeners get to know you a little bit more. So I'd love to know, you know, how did you get into your line of work? Mm -hmm. What motivated you? Yeah, I've always been an achiever. And that was, I think, um, I, my dad did not go to college and worked in a restaurant. And so anyone who has worked in the restaurant industry knows. Um, And so he was the restaurant owner and working in the restaurant was my first job. Um, And he was very much, you know, he now in hindsight worked himself into the ground on a regular basis I tend to do the same yeah here, <laughs> but that achievement was I, I caught on to that really quickly and so I was always a pretty good student I like to do all the things and so I did multiple sports in high school you know JV I was a pretty good mediocre athlete I did a bowling team for a while yes. um, I just like to dabble and then went to college. I worked full-time through college. I did not do sports. Um, so worked full-time, hustled a lot, got really good grades. And I remember sitting down and my advisor asked me if I wanted to go to grad school. And I was like, well, I guess so. Like I hadn't thought about it. Um, and then advisors and faculty members who were amazing mentors encouraged me to go on. And I was like, okay, well, I guess I will. So I applied to a bunch of PhD programs and I got in. Um, and I was able to skip the master's, which was phenomenal. Nice. And I was able to get financial support, which was also huge. And so I came across a counseling psychology program and their research and clinical work, kind of a hybrid. I've always loved stats. I've loved research. I like to help people. Um, they had a really strong emphasis on social justice and multiculturalism, DEI work. So I was like, this is it. This is my jam. So went to get the PhD in counseling psychology, 
and started running again for, for grad school, like self-care, because if I registered for a race, <laughs> then I had to train for it. Yeah. And so I was, you know, typical getting caught up in the grades and doing all of the things and running myself into the ground without taking care of my health or my well-being. And so started running, um, stuck with that, went from zero to 100 pretty quickly, started doing marathons that led to triathlons. And then they needed, as they often do in grad programs, they needed someone, a grad student to teach an undergrad course. And that course was sports psychology. And I had never been introduced to sports psychology before. So the first time I took the course was when I taught it. It's so amazing. It was grad, you know, doctoral student Aaron teaching the undergrad <laughs> sports psychology while I was living it and breathing it and also learning it. Mm. And it was amazing. I fell for it. And so I started to pivot more toward the health psychology world. Did a postdoc in health psych, health promotion, stress quality of life. Um, and then long story short, I was a faculty member for a few years. I picked up a side gig as a sports psychologist saying I would do eight hours a week and then eight hours a week turned into 15 to 20 to 25 to 30 because I fell in love with the field and yeah. I left academia altogether and worked in like a private consulting firm, um, in a group practice for five years and then just went independent about four months ago. So. I didn't realize you went independent so soon ago. Yeah. For some reason, I thought it was it was much further uh, along, but mm-hmm. uh, I guess you yeah. had me fooled. <laughs> you're just so comfortable in it. <laughs> yeah, you're just so comfortable in it online. Yeah, no, it's great. It's great. Yeah. Well, that's so, awesome. Yeah. So really, I'm I am so fortunate. A lot of people work really hard to get into sports psychology. It's a it's a you know it's a like what do, what's the phrase like old boys club. Um, it's pretty white, pretty male dominated field or profession. Um, and I was fortunate enough to have just landed in the right place at the right time where someone had a need and I had the training and background needed to, to learn and then was able to pursue the formal sports psych certification while I was there. And then I was then added to the USOPC mental health registry, which was also huge for me. So that shows I've got the credentials in both the mental health and the sport performance. So it, I like to say the field found me. Um, and I, I liked psychology. I liked research. I was doing psychology and research related things. And then I found sports psych and I was like, wow, this is it. So it felt yeah. like home. It felt like home. That's so awesome. Oh, I love that. It's I'm, I feel like butterflies in my belly for you yeah. right now because it's such it's a so cool, cool feeling. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's so awesome. Uh, well, definitely sounds like it aligns with everything. And, you know, in terms of, I know the mission statement that you had on, on your website is to contribute to the health and wellness of athletes via evidence-based research. Of course, that makes my heart pitter-patter. Yeah. And practice, you know, um, your mm-hmm. your own psychology in terms of like, well, I'll let you explain it. Like, what is mm-hmm. ultimately your mission when it comes to the clients that you work with and the athletes mm-hmm. that you work with? Yeah, I think that a few things are a little bit different than what might be traditional. Um, I, um, one of my friends, Tara Saplavi likes to talk about being a professional rabble rouser. And I love how she has shared that. Um, and I, I love that identity. And so I think I, I have a strong feminist and multicultural stance and I will not hesitate to speak up when needed. Um, 
And that's something that is tough in the sports psychology world because a lot of people are, you know, especially the larger the contracts in Olympic and professional teams and university contracts, there are more politics, there's more bureaucracy. It's harder to speak up and say hard things. Um, and I do. So that makes me a little bit different. Um, I think the other thing that makes me different is I also do the research. So I, you know, a lot of people are taught to be critical consumers of the research so that they can apply it. Um, I'm the person who says like, I have the resources and tools to figure this out. And so mm -hmm. it's not uncommon for me to see an issue, um, which we can talk about more. I recently, this happened to me and I was yeah. like, I could do this. I've got yeah. the tools to help with this. And I did that with a big microaggressions article a few years ago, um, talking about gender disparities in, in, um, the women's fields within cycling, um, people who race in those fields, what are the microaggressions that they experience? And frankly, it was because I was having a lot of conversations with stakeholders and I wanted data to support my points and what I was saying to help them understand this isn't just me talking about my experience. This is a larger phenomenon. So yeah, it's so, yeah. global besides you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and then I, I think, think the final piece is like, I continue to race and compete. So yeah. I'm still living it as well. So, that's awesome. Yeah. And we definitely need more, we need more data. Like yeah. the data, the data can shed so much light on sometimes what is going on, obviously in the realm that we're in, you know, especially mm -hmm. when it comes to sports and of course, you know, women and other communities are just massively underrepresented in research. Mm -hmm. uh, now, of course, my type of research that I did, you know, was not psychological research um, or survey research or anything like that. But, you know, still, I, I saw it even on the science side of things, uh, mm -hmm. for sure. So thank you mm -hmm. for being that type of person who's like, hey, how can I get into the communities that are underrepresented <laughs> and, you know, exactly. shed some light on things? Because we need mm -hmm. that. We definitely need that. We all know it's a problem, but it's just a matter of like, hey, how can we actually fix it? Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Especially I think, you know, when you look at the sports science research, the gender disparities are so like they're ridiculous. It's really, it's a really wide gap. Um, and so then, you know, you're taking these studies that have been done on, you know, 20, you know, cisgender men, um, mm -hmm. and then applying that to all Yeah. And it's just not like we, we can do better. Let's do yeah. better. Right. Yeah. So, so I like playing a small role in that. hundred percent ace even shared uh, a research study this past weekend for their science saturdays and actually one of my friends runs their science saturdays program sabrina and she cool. just wrapped up her phd and it was interesting because the study was actually done on all females and i was just like i commented <laughs> on linkedin because i was like hey kudos the study was actually done on 100 percent female you know population yep. which is fantastic yeah. And let's see more of it, you know? Yeah. So, absolutely. yeah, I try to be as vocal as I can with that. So hopefully it'll help a little yeah. bit, even though mm -hmm. I'm not necessarily the researcher. So, you know, what is the type of research that does excite you? I know you did talk about gender disparity, but like, is there anything in particular that's like, Ooh, okay. That makes me really want to dive yeah. into more. Um, I love the intersection between like, DEI work, diversity, equity, inclusion, and like women in sport, um, that really excites me. And then especially endurance sports. And part of it is, you know, like people, academics will joke about me search where you research your own experiences, right? Um, and from that feminist lens, the personal is political. So you can't really 
separate those that, you know, my lived experience, it's, I can't just separate that from my work. Um, and part of that is how I'm wired. I just can't compartmentalize like that. And so, so I really like studying those, like, and I do it in a mixed methods way. So basically I, I love the richness of qualitative data and storytelling and hearing people's narratives and letting their words bring those experiences to light so people can truly understand. Um, and then from that statistics and quantitative standpoint, you, you need numbers, unfortunately. You need numbers to, yeah. get, um, to get momentum and to show that this isn't just one person's experience, right? Mm -hmm. And so when talking with stakeholders and trying to make bigger decisions and trying to move the needle, we also need the numbers to do that. And so the research that I do brings those two things together. And it is so cool. Um, I nerd out over it all of the time, but it's basically starting with a really open-ended prompt and going to the people on the ground, asking them for their experiences, um, and then help they help you make sense of the data by kind of organizing it and sorting it. And then I put the numbers to it behind the scenes, and then I make sense of it and kind of tell the story, right? So um, as an example, we did this a couple years ago. I'm, I'm I'm now creating a scale for it, which I can tell you more about. But, you know, if I have an athlete who comes to me for sports psychology, I don't want to just give a symptom checklist. And then mm -hmm. if symptoms are reduced, assume that they're doing better because athletes need good mental health and good performance in order to really flourish and thrive. So if I give someone like a depression inventory or screener and their depression is reduced, that's great. Mm -hmm. But like, are they still happy with how they're performing? Right? Yeah. So, so the research we did was this big study that we basically got a bunch of stakeholders. Um, we got professional athletes, we got coaches, uh, we got people who worked on mental health, um, like working committees, people who are really well known for their subject matter expertise. And we asked them, what are the actions, thoughts, and feelings that athletes need for maximal or optimal performance and mental health? And so that was the brainstorming. And then we consolidated all of that data and we came up with seven different clusters and saying, okay, these are the things that athletes need. And so then we can create a scale, like a self-report assessment and an athlete can take that. And it's not just mental health symptoms. Now it's the other things like intentional and deliberate practice. It's their stress management, team relationships, social support, all of the things that are, affect our performance and our mental health. So that's what gets me really excited. Yeah. And is that actually what your current survey is that you have out now? Okay, good. Cause I was like, that sounds very similar to what I did before you, which yeah. I'm so listeners, I'm going to link that in the show notes. Cause that's still open right now. Right. Okay. It great. Is. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. I'm going to link that in the show notes. Cause I let all my clients know about that, but in a closed group and, and of course I share it on social, but I know not everyone can see that cause not everyone looks at stories or spends a lot of time on social, which I commend. Yes. Um, so yeah, look for the link in the show notes and I'll link it to, to Aaron's research. That way, if you are interested in participating in this, it, it would, of course would be a huge benefit um, because I know I'm excited for the outcome in terms of a questionnaire that could be utilized by coaches and things mm -hmm. like that, you know, for, for my athletes. So, yep. so yeah, coaches will be able to use it. Athletes mm -hmm. will be able to use it to see how they're doing. Yeah. You know, if they're hitting a performance slump, they can take this assessment and be like, mm, what am I missing? Yeah. Right. Where are the gaps? Um, so I think it'll be a huge contribution to the field. I'm really excited for it. Oh, I'm excited. Thanks for obviously doing it. Mm -hmm. And again, being the brains behind all of this. Mm -hmm. All right. So 
You ready to talk about burnout? Yeah, I'm ready. <laughs> especially, yeah. especially for you, Miss Achiever, or your dad. I know is an achiever, but you're also know, an achiever thanks, as well. Thanks, dad. Yep. But mm-hmm. honestly, a lot of what you said really resonated with me because, <laughs> again, I worked in the service industry in college, and I worked full time through college as well. And it was one of those things where it was just like, I mean, I, fortunately, that's just what I had to do financially in order for yep. me to actually go to college. But, um, but yeah, it's just ingrained in you, you know, from such a young age, and. It's something I love, but it is something that, you know, at least you have realized and, and have been able to notice the signs and symptoms for yourself. And hopefully this can be conveyed to the listeners today. So uh-huh. let's define burnout and maybe uh-huh. uh, talk about some signs and symptoms that can signal it for yeah. us before it's too late. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, so one thing I think that I, I should name is that it's going to look a little bit different for everyone. And so ultimately, you know, you are the expert of your own experience. And so what my burnout looks like might be different than yours. Um, That said, there are some pretty common signs and symptoms. Um, A lot of people will group them into three different clusters or categories. Uh, The first one, and I would say the main one, is basically like a loss of motivation or interest in the thing that usually really fuels you. So if we were to say like cycling or triathlon or running, um, really any other sport, it's like it just doesn't bring you joy to the same extent that it normally would. And not like just one bad workout, right, where you have a bad day or an off day, but where it's like this thing that's been happening for a few weeks and you're really struggling to kind of get on the trainer or get out for a run and you're just not feeling excited to do it when you normally would. Um, So it's like that loss of interest or that loss of motivation is a sign that burnout might be kind of on the horizon. Um, Another thing that can happen is this sense of like skepticism, criticism, getting irritable, um, rough around the edges, more, just more cynical. Um, And we'll often (laughs) see this with like just more sarcasm. Um, It could be self-deprecating humor where you're just making comments of like, oh, it doesn't matter anymore anyway. Um, Unfortunately, like a really good example is teachers at the end of the year or healthcare providers like nursing staff, physicians who are working really long hours and starting to get burnt out. Sometimes they might complain more about certain patients or certain students. So like a coach might have more negative feelings toward clients who they normally love to work with. Um, As a psychologist, I might not feel as like invested or interested in my clients if I'm feeling burnt out. So it's really paying attention to like, how are you thinking about the others who you usually serve and care for? Um, And then for athletes, how are you thinking about your teammates, your coaches, the other people in your life? Because if you're feeling more irritable or crabby or cynical um, or frustrated with them, and that's not a typical thing for you, that might be a burnout sign. Um, And then the third kind of cluster, Jen is laughing like I'm, uh, I'm sorry I'm, I'm only laughing because no I'm only laughing because yeah uh, speaking with my own therapist separately on burnout yeah. uh that was one of my signs and symptoms so right when you said it and I I apologize yeah. usually I try to mute myself but Stop you it. also you see me on the video so you see me laughing call, right now. like picking up the body language and like the like yeah I can't help but I'll pay attention to it. Yeah. no no do it please call me out yeah. <laughs> but that was definitely one of my signs and symptoms especially yeah. when you said more cynical 
Yeah. I mean, more cynical was just like, oh my God, that was me to a T through the roof. Yeah. But anyways, it's, this yeah. is relatable. So now I'll put myself on mute for you. <laughs> <laughs> so then the third bucket or symptom is like this um, feeling like this lack of achievement or this lack of satisfaction with performance. And so like Jen, you might see this with your athletes where the athletes are just like, it doesn't matter anymore. I'm not seeing any progress. Like, I, you know, I'm doing the work, but I'm not seeing the results where they, or like whatever they do, like, they're just not, they're, they're not celebrating their wins, right? Like they might normally celebrate. Um, and they want to give again, up. Yeah. And again, yeah. this is different from someone whose personality type is where they're never happy with their performance. Like that's a different conversation and a different client for me, um, I can also work with, but it's like a matter of the burnout is where all of a sudden you kind of notice this dip and they're just not happy. They feel like whatever they do isn't enough or they're not progressing. Um, and so they're not satisfied with their performance. Right. And so this from in terms of symptoms, it can show up in those ways. It can also be like just fatigue. Um, it can be a performance slump. It can be like getting sick more often or more like niggles, those small, like persistent and annoying injuries that don't actually like take you out. Um, and one of the reasons we know stress management, like stress levels are they make they're related to injury risk. So the more stressed you are, the more likely you are to get injured. Um, it can also be changes in sleep. It can be like a prolonged recovery time where normally you could recover from like, you know, a five hour base endurance ride. And then all of a sudden this one really just, you feel like you can't get off the couch. Um, so it can show up in kind of these subtle ways. I think the big thing that I see is just how the athlete is speaking about themselves and the people around them. So um, the big thing to think about with burnout, and this is where it gets different from depression, is ultimately the issue with burnout is a lack of motivation, where the athlete just isn't motivated anymore. Um, and then depression, that's one symptom of depression. And so that's why there can be an overlap between the two. And that's why there can be some confusion where athletes are like, I don't know if this is burnout or I don't know if this is depression or something else. Because mm -hmm. that, if you think of like a Venn diagram, that lack of motivation is going to affect both of those things. It'll show up in both of those situations. I feel like that's where it gets confusing for a lot yep. of folks, you know, because yeah. even for me, when I was going through this, it was like, wow, do I have like, am I functioning, functionally depressed or what is the word that they call it now? Um, I think it's that or, or something along those lines. I can't remember. Yeah, or like, like subclinical, where yeah. it's like. Yeah. You're still functioning, but you have that cloud over your head and you exactly. just feel like there's something wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Like Linus and the Peanuts gang, you know? Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that was the hardest part because I've never, I mean, sure I've been sad and, and I've been depressed and I'm sure a mm -hmm. lot of us can, can feel something in that, in that range of motion, like a lot of the listeners who are probably tuning mm -hmm. in today, but it's, I think it's nice to know that but yeah, not feeling motivated is a sign of depression, but then what else, what else do you want to talk about like what are some other things you, you can look for to kind of differentiate between the two or sure. dive mm -hmm. a little bit deeper? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So depression is, it includes a lot of those things, but it's not just specific to sport. So that's one of the big differentiators is like, well, are you feeling this with work and school and friends and like other realms, other hobbies? Or is it just a sport thing? 
Because if it's just a sport thing, it's usually burnout and usually not depression. If it's depression, it's going to be leaking into other areas of their life where they're also feeling cynical or a lack of personal achievement or just emotionally exhausted about all of the things um, or more than one thing. So that's one of the big things as a psychologist that I look for is I ask clients, where is this showing up and how is it affecting you? Because if it's limited to that sport, chances are it's burnout. And then that means they need, you know, they just, they need to take a break. Um, They need to step back, right? Depression includes those things, but then it also includes like an overwhelming sense of, and again, there's different symptoms. And so everyone might have a different combination of symptoms, but um, it's like a loss of interest in like almost all activities that usually bring bring people joy. Um, Feelings of like helplessness or hopelessness, just like feeling really sad or just feeling really blue or really like with the teens I work with, I say feeling blah. Um, like they just don't have that energy or that, you know, that life that they usually have. Um, or like, I feel like whatever I do, it doesn't matter. I feel like I've lost all hope. I feel worthless. Um, I don't contribute to the team. I'm a burden. Um, that's more of that depression speaking when it's starting to show up in other, like other ways. Um, the other thing with depression is you, it is very typical to see changes in appetite and sleep, um, and then sex drive as well, where people just aren't, they're not as interested in sex. Um, they're sleeping a lot more or a lot less than what is typical for them, or they're eating a lot more or a lot less than what is typical unintentionally. So that's the other piece is it's unintentional. Um, and then it's not really explained by anything else. So, so that's pretty big. Um, we also see irritability with depression again, which we can see with burnout. So there's some overlap there. Um, and then I think the other thing is we feel like just, there's lots of like difficulty concentrating and difficulty focusing difficulty with attention with, with depression. And that's something you don't usually get with burnout. So the burnout is just like, I don't feel like doing it. Depression, like you're just having a hard time getting through your day for a variety of reasons. Um, like where you're feeling off and it's like, again, leaking into other areas of your life. Um, and then the final symptom, which again, not everyone has, everyone has different combinations is more of that suicidal ideation. Mm-hmm. And it might be vague where you have thoughts of like, if you're on a bike ride being like, it would be convenient if I was just hit by a truck right now, yeah. where it's kind of that passive, like if something happened to me, I wouldn't be upset. Yeah. Um, or it can be more of that active where someone has like a plan and a means and an intent. And that's when we talk about more like getting more supports in place to make sure that they can be safe and and supported. Yeah. So yeah. Thanks for sharing that. That was really nice to see like kind of the progression. And also I will say the thing that can stand out for me, especially as a health coach, there's a couple of things that you mentioned that stands out to me are change in appetite, sleep and sex drive changes. Cause those are actually things that I chain that I check in on quite frequently with my, my clients. I do, have, you know, the sex drive check-in, um, be optional. You know, it is something sometimes I'll add, I'll ask not necessarily in the check-in form that it's required check-in for them, but if it's something that like little coaches, spidey sense is telling me to maybe check in on, uh-huh. then I'll, I'll say, you know, Hey, are you comfortable talking about like, you know, what's your sex drive looking like right now yep. and, and your regularity uh-huh. and things like that. Um, uh-huh. I feel like that trio there, 
as well as the difficulty in focusing. Because that is something I have seen across the board increase in my clients and also myself to some degree, Mm -hmm. especially since 2020, you know, Mm -hmm. March 2020, which we all know what happened then. And, and I, I will say that kind of stands out. So when you do have someone that is experiencing difficulty in, in focusing as well as maybe a few of these other symptoms, what do you recommend for them? You know, to obviously reach out to a mental health professional or, you know, what are their next steps? Yeah, it's so tough. And this is where I get like, I don't know what the word is. I get really like picky, territorial, where I'm like, find the right person, right? Um, And this is where it gets really, really tough in the sport world. Because if you think that you're burnt out, you could go to a mental performance consultant, but that person may not know how to screen for depression, or they may not have that like that piece of information in the back of their brain to assess for depression. If a, if a athlete is coming to them and feeling burnt out, same thing. If an athlete goes to a a more of a generalist therapist and clinician who could be an absolutely amazing clinician, um, if they are not like living and breathing in in the sports world 24 seven, like I am, (laughs) Or like other sports psychologists are, Um, they might encourage you to like, well, you you know, just take a break from the sport, like quit the sport, step down from the team. It sounds like it's bringing you a lot of stress right now. Maybe you should take a step back. And for an athlete, if we think about cultural identity, the athletic identity is a part of that, right? Um, And we are like, we are athletes. And so when you Mm -hmm. take away the sport for one reason or another, um, if it's an injury or burnout, or anything else, that athletic identity is threatened. And that is really hard if you're already burnt out or depressed. Um, So in order to find someone, there is a, there are a couple different options, but there are some things you can look for. If you can find like the double licensed clinician who also has, it's called the CMPC, Certified Mental Performance Consultant then then you're likely going to be in pretty good hands because it shows that that person is clinically trained with mental health and they may be a clinical social worker, clinical therapist, master's level, doctoral level, doesn't matter. They're going to have that clinical training and they can help with mental health. And they have the CMPC, which is that performance consulting space, which means the sport. So that's mm-hmm. what I would say, like, try to get both of those if you can. Um, there's a USOPC has a good mental health registry and you can go on there. You can just Google like USOPC mental health registry and you'll see it come up. It's a database, it's public and you can search by state and that's really convenient. It's an awesome place to start. It includes phone numbers and email addresses. So athletes can really just pick on their state wherever they're living because licensure is dependent on the state, which is another funky thing. (laughs) Yeah. And then they can kind of work their way down the list to try to find someone. So, and good providers, even if we're full, will provide other suggestions. We'll say, you know, I'm, I'm not able to take anyone right now. And I think one of my colleagues would be a good fit for you. Yeah. So, yeah. That's awesome. I know. I do re- appreciate that about the mental health field. Uh, you know, if, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Even if someone doesn't feel like they're the right fit, they'll be like, Hey, I, I think I have someone in mind. Yep. It's just such a helpful, helpful community. I will link that um, Mm -hmm. mental health registry in the show notes for everyone. And I'll confirm it with you after we're done with this, (laughs) just to make sure I link something right. Just in case, you know, folks, 
Yeah, just in case folks feel like they need something to reach out to. Now, you actually did provide on social media a map yeah. of the states that you are, you know, obviously yeah. working in. And I will say, like, it was most yeah. <laughs> states. So do you want to kind of talk about there. that? Because I know, I think it kind yeah. of, it boils down to, like, what type of mental health practice you're going to actually yep. be performing, right? And so it's interesting. There's this new legislation that came out. So, like, psychologists are, and and clinicians, mental health therapists at the master's level, it's the same thing is we get our license through each state. And so let's say I have an athlete who's in Minnesota and then a pandemic hits and they move home to Florida. Technically, I am not supposed to provide services to them, even if we're in the middle of a pandemic. And so that's why we had, it was called like, you know, like the state of emergency that allowed clinicians to practice across state lines so that we could provide continuity of care because if you're, if all of a sudden you, you know, you're an athlete, all of a sudden you can't play, you can't compete, you're in lockdown and now your therapist can't see you. Like that is not a good situation to be in. So, so that was good. And you know, the government was pretty good at being like, okay, we need to find a way to, to work with this difficult situation. But now there's this new thing. It's a legislation. And I think of it as reciprocity where like, if you get licensed in one state, you can practice in the others. And it's for telehealth. So now I'm, so I got that this, this, the minute I could, I was nagging yeah. them via email being like, is Minnesota included yet? Um, and once they opened the doors, I submitted my application and that allows me to serve athletes. I think now it's 37 states. Um, and so now I'm able to really think again, that, you know, that overlap of mental health and performance is totally my jam. You know, it's when life gets really messy and really hard and you're an athlete. Mm-hmm. Um, and you still want to perform. <laughs> and so yeah. that's, that's where I, that's like my sweet spot. So now I can do that with athletes who email me from, you know, Colorado or, um, Illinois or, you know, other random States, which is pretty mm-hmm. cool. And then if I get an athlete from a different state, like Baltimore is really tricky. I think it's De- Delaware is really tricky. Then I can look at the, you know, database and say, you know, I'm not able to provide mental health services to you. We could only do performance work, which is like motivation, concentration, focus, goal setting. Um, if you want to find someone in Delaware, here are some leads and suggestions. So, but it opens up a lot of doors for athletes. It's way easier to find people now, which is huge. Yeah. And I think the benefit too with telehealth is a lot of us did get used to using Zoom and other portals well, already. And then you know, now it's just, it's great with that continuity, you know, for me, um, I see, yeah, one of my therapists online, it's fantastic because gosh, it fits my schedule so much better. Yeah. It's her schedule, obviously so much better. Way Um, more accessible. Yeah. And what's great is if I'm tired and I'm not feeling it, I don't even feel the need to get a shower. I just throw on a hat and I just like, I'm seeing her, but I'm still present. I'm still hundred percent present. And I don't want anyone who's listening to think that all telehealth, mental health, or, or performance care, like, I don't know if it's going to be the same. I, yeah. I just want people to try, you know, if they do yeah. feel the need, like, and they're able to do this um, financially, yep. and they have means for this, then please just try it mm-hmm. uh, and give it a, give it a whirl. Please don't diss it or anything like that until you actually try it because you'd be totally. pretty amazed. Just put up with the intake visit that you have to do in <laughs> order for them to kind of get to know your background. But after that, it really, it could really shed some light on, on things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. And I say it's like, it's kind of like dating or like finding the right is. coach, you yeah. know, like sometimes you don't click with someone and that's okay. Like yeah. keep trying. 
Yeah, I'm not everyone's cup of tea for sure. Yeah. (laughs) And so I I say that usually, and a lot of therapists will say this in the first session, is saying, you know, and I often provide people with other suggestions. If I know someone is kind of shopping around and they want to find the right fit, I'll say, hey, like, feel free to reach out to these colleagues too. And any any therapist who's confident in their skills will do that so that, you know, you can find the right home. And that's important. Oh gosh, yeah, 100%. I know I have a few people I, I like to kind of refer to just in case Mm -hmm. and then also just you're good with this well like hey if you want to just hop on a phone call or just something you know or like just connect with something uh connect with one another just Mm -hmm. see because again you can pretty much tell when you get uh get to talking and just see if you can jive all right so then what what about preventing burnout so how can we how can we prevent this beloved burnout that we're talking about so this is where it gets like quote unquote like fun and tricky Um, so there are some really, really good theories about motivation. So we have to remember burnout is a motivation issue. Depression is a like neurobiological, psychological, chemical issue, right? So two different causes. So if we want to prevent burnout, we have to provide an environment that is really good for motivation. And fortunately, there is a bunch of awesome research that talks about this. There are three core factors to increasing motivation for athletes. And any athlete listening to this podcast will be able to think about the times they've burnt out and what they had and what they didn't have. And this should help explain it. So the first one is a sense of autonomy. You have to have choices. So if you're an athlete and you don't have any choices regarding the type of workouts you're doing, whether you're doing them on the trainer or outside, um, what types of races you're allowed to do, if, you know... (laughs) Coach Jen is like, no, you can't do that. And you can't do that either. And nope, you can't do that. You're not going to be motivated to show coach up. Jen needs things. to be fired. <laughs> yeah, then find a different coach. Yeah. Um, so, so and a sense of autonomy is really important. You need to feel like you have a choice in your training and in your competition. And so when we see that athletes are getting burnt out, for one thing that I always suggest, have a conversation with your coach for sure. And then the coaches and athletes can get together and be like, you know, I'd like to talk about happiness, Watts. What are your favorite types of rides? And for some athletes, one of the one of the most common things is group rides. And we know group rides are not wonderful for training, training because you're yeah. working in all different zones. You're working, you're hitting into like all five of them, most likely. And True. so coaches often are like, hmm, wouldn't pick that as my favorite workout. But we know athletes tend to really like group rides for a lot of different reasons. And so a good coach is going to be like, okay, how about you do that one like once a week and then I'll work around that, right? So then the athlete has the autonomy and they're able to choose what brings them joy. Um, I've also so glad you said this. (laughs) Sorry. I call it soul miles in my coaching and I literally tell everyone, I'm like, this is whatever the hell you want it to be. Like, I don't care. I want it to be one day when you don't have to worry about your heart rate zones. I don't want you, I mean, you don't even have to turn on Strava. Like, I don't yep. care. But in a group ride is a perfect example. So thanks yep. for saying that. Yeah. So second ingredient is relatedness or a sense of belonging or community. And this is really, really big, um, especially right now when we're looking at the trans ban, when we're looking at other issues where people are, are being excluded and they're being marginalized because of their identity. Um, people need to feel like they belong. And if they don't feel like they belong, then their motivation is going to take a huge hit and they are going to be very, very susceptible to burnout. 
Um, so a lot of the athletes right now who are members of our, our the trans community and the cycling community are likely feeling that where they're going to take a big hit to motivation because they don't feel that sense of belonging that they might normally feel. Um, so when I, you know, if you're feeling burnt out or if you want to prevent burnout, double down on the social support and teammates and coaches who help you feel like you belong because you do. Right. Um, so it's recognizing like, okay, this is a thing. Um, I can't control this right now. Who are the people that fill my bucket? Who are the people that bring me joy and be really intentional about spending more time with them? Cause you've got to have your community and you've got to be able to relate to others. Um, rather than like the default is going to be to like isolate, um, or kind of like opt out or hide or withdraw, which is a super normal response. Um, reminding yourself, you know, <laughs> the sport is going to bring you a lot of joy. Like you do it for a reason. Um, and so making sure that you can find your people will be really important for that. Um, and then final ingredient is a sense of competence. Athletes have to feel like they're good or decent at what they're doing and they have to see progress. So if they're not seeing any sort of progress and it doesn't have to be, you know, their threshold power or their running splits, it can be any side of type of progress. You know, if you think of like downhill or mountain biking, it's like, you know, think about your handling abilities and the different types of features you're, you're getting a handle on. Um, if you can see that progress, you're going to be more motivated to keep showing up, right? And so that's why when people hit performance plateaus, they're not seeing the progress and then they get less motivated and then they're more susceptible to burnout. So it's important to then mix things up so they can start to see progress in other areas. So... So that's the motivation and burnout prevention. So burnout prevention is actually, I don't want to say it's easy, but it's simpler than what a lot of people might think. Yeah. Because I think sometimes we might be in our own heads and thinking that we need to summit this huge mountain ahead of us because it feels like that when we are feeling burnout and excessive Mm -hmm. fatigue and, you know, loss of motivation and just breaking it down to autonomy, relatedness and confidence is huge. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm glad you mentioned something about relatedness and just the sense of community because it is something incredibly important. And I know you and I have obviously been in conversation separately outside of this podcast episode about, about mm-hmm. that, especially with trans athletes and, and those in our community, because you found it stamina racing. If you yep. want to talk about that for mm-hmm. a moment um, here in a second, but I think it's important for us to have these communities, these pockets of communities mm-hmm in in our overarching community cycling community where all are welcome they're not going to feel othered you know and Mm -hmm. and i'm not trying to throw my beliefs on people because i do know i have a few listeners who are who are still kind of on the fence with certain things when Mm -hmm. it comes to this because we've had engaging messages in in my dms and things like that Mm -hmm. and and they're really just trying to wrap their head around this Mm -hmm. but i think if you could hear I think if people could hear other people's narratives, like you mentioned earlier in today's episode, yeah. if you could just listen to what their experience is mm-hmm. and it doesn't have to impact your experience. Your experience mm-hmm. is still your experience. You're not taking, they're not taking away from your experience. Okay. Mm-hmm. But if you could just stop and just sit with them and just have coffee and have a conversation with them, go yeah. out on a group ride with people that aren't normally people you would be maybe okay with racing with yeah. and just get to know them. And you're going to see that you have a lot more in common with them than you ever imagined. Totally. And you're going to see that, that 
you know, there isn't necessarily a threat or anything like that to the community. And, you know, there is the need to, to have that warmness and openness to them. And, yep. you know, I, I'm, I'm glad that you're one of the voices that is shedding the light on these narratives, you know, because mm-hmm. it's, I think if we just get to know one another a little bit more, the more we can actually be more receptive, you know, yep. to having, having those open arms and, and, and not listening to the fear mongering and, and the honestly, quite honestly, the false research that's being used yeah. that mm-hmm. is anti-trans, you know, narratives. And mm-hmm. so thank you for saying that. Yeah. Um, did you want to talk about stamina racing at all? Yeah, you know, it's just as an example. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just yeah. as an example. Yeah, so summer of 2020, I founded Stamina Racing Collective, which is now, it's a 501c3 nonprofit organization with the mission to diversify the women's Peloton. Um, and so we have women and non-binary gender expansive athletes on the team who will race in usually the women's Peloton. They'll race in the non-binary if it's, if it's provided, um, mm-hmm. which we're seeing more of now. But we really do a lot with community development and improving accessibility um, and just helping to make sure that our our riders feel supported and they feel included. They know that they belong so that they're not just like thrown into a Peloton and told to like be good luck. And then they're the one brown rider off the back. Like no one wants that experience. And it, it sucks to feel like the only. And we're not helping our sport if if we say, oh, all are welcome. And then, you know, there's one person there and no one says hello and they don't have the resources or information needed to to be successful. Right. And so Mm -hmm. Stamina was founded with the mission to provide those resources and that mentorship and that support so that riders can be successful if they want to be. Um, And then this past year, we added a club because we know racing isn't for everyone. Some people like to ride for fun and like that's good. And so we also have a club option now for people who want to ride and they choose not to race. So it's been a really cool experience. Yeah, that's awesome. That's how I found you. It's just yeah. honestly going on and because I was kind of dabbling with the idea of, of starting my own race team or just honestly, not even a race team, just a team. Yeah. You know, racers are not much to what you just said. Like not everyone wants to race, you know, just have a right. club. And that's when I found Stamina uh, a couple of years ago. And it was just nice to see, you know, and, so is it only what, where is stamina racing? Like where it's are they located? Minnesota, it's Minneapolis area. Yeah. yeah. And part of that is because of that community and accessibility piece. So we help people with bikes. We provide lessons, clinics. We've got a local coach in the area who supports us and does like bike handling clinics, for example. Um, so we're all based here in the, in the Metro. Yeah. Awesome. It's too bad. Too bad you're not here in Denver, but we do have some, some teams here in Denver that are doing their, doing their thing, like the Ride or Die yeah. Collective. They're fantastic. Um, and I have yeah. some athletes on that team and, and they've been very receptive and just very supportive of my athletes. So yeah, I'm liking, I'm liking the, the trajectory that I'm seeing with more just welcoming teams that actually like, don't just say that they're welcoming in terms of performativeness. <laughs> You know, yeah. like nature, uh-huh. they're actually putting in the work and doing the due diligence uh-huh. and really learning, you know, how to reflect their work, with DIY work and self-reflection and yeah. yeah, seeing what the community needs. Awesome. Well, anything else that you want to add that maybe we didn't miss or that we missed yeah. or I missed? I don't yeah, think so. We covered yeah. a lot. That was awesome. Yeah, we did. Yeah, no, yeah. it was great. And I'm really hoping that folks who are listening can really benefit from like learning, you know, these signs and symptoms between burnout uh-huh. and depression and you maybe even reach out to you. I know you also, by the time that this episode is published, which will be next week, yeah. you're going to be already enrolling that we'll group. Yeah, yeah. The, the group, unfortunately. But I'm guessing 
if this first round of the group training goes well, if you want to talk about that, maybe you'll be offering it later on. So let the listeners know how they can find you, uh, what are some links, and then let them know a little bit about this group, group yep. training that you're doing. Yeah. So uh, Instagram, you can totally get a hold of me on Instagram. And if you have questions about burnout and depression, I can totally set you up with some resources. So don't hesitate to reach out. Um, I also have people who are like, I want you to be my therapist on Instagram. They're like, I've never found a therapist on Instagram before. Times are changing. Um, So I'm happy to provide you again with resources, databases to help you find the right fit. Um, So that's Aaron E. Ayala is my personal. And then Scotty, it's S-K-A-D-I sport psychology with a singular sport um scotty sport psychology and that's my other instagram the work handle so you can reach out to either of those and that's the easiest way to get a hold of me awesome and of course i'm going to link those in the show notes yeah and you'll see with the scotty uh you know handle whatever you want to call it that social media account you'll see some of the posts recently on the group training and things like that that starts on tuesday actually it's going to be tomorrow by the time yeah. we're like publishing or we're recording it now uh, on Monday, July 31st, but mm-hmm. it'll already be enrolled, but hopefully, yep. you know, keep your I'll eyes open. I'll other cohorts for sure. And yeah. so for anyone interested, that's basically a nine, eight to nine week coaching program for athletes who have like, they want to work on their mental game, but they're not sure how or like where to start. And so it's a group cohort model where people start together and then it's online modules. You get exercises, you get personalized assessments, and then there's live group um, coaching and Q&A sessions, plus three individual coaching sessions with me. Um, And then you can keep all the materials for a lifetime, which is pretty rad. So then you can come back season after season and be like, am I burnt out? And take that same assessment and it will tell you. Um, so if anyone has questions about that, again, feel free to reach out. I'll definitely be doing more cohorts in the future. Awesome. Yeah. Get on her email list. It'll, yeah. it'll be good. It'll be worth it. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much, Erin, for taking time out of your day to be a part of this. I so appreciate you. And hopefully I'll have you on in the future. Maybe we can yeah. talk about uh, some of the things that we're really passionate about in terms of our community. All right. Oh, but thank you. That. Yeah. Thank you so much. 